Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I am I'm thrilled. We are talking to the other side of the planet from me. We are talking to Queenstown, New Zealand, and Trent Yo, who was the organizer of both TEDx Queenstown and uh, TEDx Scott Base. Trent, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mark. Very pleased to be here. I uh, I'm I'm looking out the window in your office. There, am I looking at mountains and forest? Yeah, there's a big forest behind us. We had some fresh snow last night. Oh, my so, gosh. I'm not sure. In the Celsius, it's about zero degrees outside. Yeah, nice and chilly. So how cold was it when you went to Scott Base in Antarctica? Uh, it was um, what I would consider uh, normal weather, I imagine, minus 5 to maybe minus 10, minus 15 degrees Celsius on and, the uh, Celsius scale. And I heard it took a year to organize that event. Is that right? Yeah, well, I suppose we did a lot of pre-organization. It probably took just a little bit less than a year. But, yeah, it was a lot of paperwork to be done going what, to Antarctica. What was the – a lot of paperwork. Tell me about that. Well, uh, it's not a usual context for anyone uh, civilian-like to go down to Antarctica. You know, it's um, outside tourism. Most people who go down to the Antarctic base, uh, TEDx Scott base, are actually scientists. So it's one of those things that um, it takes a little bit of work to justify your position going down there. Oh, got it. And so that was, so you had to explain, did you have to explain what TEDx was and what you were doing? And, and then where did the audience come from? People who were already there? Yeah, I suppose. Um, so we went down with Antarctica New Zealand, um, who's the government organization who coordinates um New Zealand's presence in Antarctica, and they were having a 60th anniversary. So oh. luckily, the CEO of Antarctica New Zealand is actually a TEDx speaker oh. um, from TEDx Christchurch. So he knew um, very specifically what um, TEDx and the TEDx opportunity existed for them. And I suppose one of the big elements of uh, Antarctica New Zealand is to really get a view of the world Sorry, get a view on Antarctica from the world. Right. So the whole combination of Antarctica, New Zealand, and TEDx coming together was a perfect opportunity. Wow. Um, wow. So, and I can't recall your second question, Mark. Actually. Well, the second question was gets going to get back to the your origin story and when did you? Yes. When did TED come on your radar at first? Uh, so I suppose, like most of your uh, people on this. Uh, radio show, most people have, have heard of TED and watched TED Talks, and I'm a bit one of those fans that have been around for a while. Uh, I We were actually part of a group called uh, Ideas for Breakfast, Breakfast Not Included. What? 
Um, so it was a group that we used to meet, and basically we were sick of networking and stuff. We just wanted to talk about big things like ideas. Right. And so we used sure. to catch up about that. And then one of the guys said, oh, why don't we organize a TEDx event? And then suddenly, a month later, one of the guys surprised us and said, oh, I've got the license. Um, so we were kind of... Uh, had an instant team of people ready to go to organize an event for our community, which is a small community. And um, so that was a. What year was that? It uh, would have been 2012. For our first event was 2013. And um, what was the theme of your first show? Uh, the next adventure. The next adventure. Well, I I know that uh, New Zealand, specifically the South Island, is you know, world famous for adventure. Aren't, don't you have a, you do eco tours and zip lining. Isn't that your day job? That's, that's correct. Yeah. So this is a normal job here um, to work in <laughs> oh, adventure tourism. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's like a, a handful of places on earth. Uh, people are very adventurous. There's a very adventurous spirit. Um, it may have come from the gold rush days, um, but now it's in the form of, um, bungee jumping and jet boating, zip lines, mountaineering, and anything actually that you can think of. So our town is quite unique in in this. And from that, we thought, let's have the next adventure. And so add on the cultural aspects of our town and add a bit of uh, a TEDx spin to it. And how many people in your town, in Queenstown? Uh, 15,000 people, probably, depending how far you go in the extents. Um, but we have two and a half million visitors per annum. Uh, so it's wow. a high tourist location. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I live in a tourist town too. Santa Barbara, California is, yeah, you yeah. know, they, I was, I brought on the visitor bureau as, um, a partner this year cause we want to be a destination TEDx. And so I thought it would be good to, you know, we're known for a lot of things. I'd love us to be known as a, uh, TEDx as a place for ideas, and they said that tourism here is $1.5 billion, which just shocked yeah. me because we're, we're a small town. So tour, tourism is a big deal. Where do you, um, you know, that's a, not a huge population. Where do you get your speakers? So the speakers, uh, we try to get about 50% at least locally. Right. Um, I suppose, honestly, this has changed over time as well, Mark. But uh, at this point in time, we, we try to really get um, a good showing and good uh, consistent message from local people. But we also like to bring in people who are who can bring a different perspective on our place. Right. And so we, we, of course, look around New Zealand and we've actually taken some speakers from Australia as we've act, um, through the process of looking for speakers. They've just sort of popped up on our radar as such. What's the farthest someone has come to speak at your event? Uh, well, I mean, Sydney and Melbourne uh, and also Hobart in Tasmania. Oh, wow. Uh, so Australia. Oh, that's actually not true. We actually had a speaker from California. Huh? Um, Peggy Oakey is a whale um, advocate, and mm-hmm. she actually has a home half the time in New Zealand. Ah. And we, we heard oh, about perfect. her work with dolphins and whales, so we thought we, we could bring her. So she's sort of Californian, New Zealand. She's already person. there, right? Yeah, she's there for half the year anyway. I'm, I am actively um, trying – I'm actively recruiting a company that does 
wave energy underwater, these underwater turbines, and yep, their yep. laboratory is in the North Island, up uh, up north of Auckland a little bit. Really? But they're a California oh. Santa Barbara company. And uh, so they spend half their time there and half their time here. So it's interesting. It's the reverse. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's cool. And yeah. it seems that U.S.-New Zealand relations are very strong. Yes. And uh, the M- the U.S. embassy uh, works and helps a lot of speakers go back and forth. It seems to other TEDx events, particularly Christchurch, Wellington, and Auckland have used that relationship. So it's been really good for bringing um, the right type of TEDx speakers to the stage here. So stay on that for a second. Is is there some advice there for people in terms of dealing with an embassy to help? Because I, I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah, so uh, um, we haven't ourselves uh, used that relationship, although I know we know them well. Uh, I think that it's something that you want to if you're going to look at, for example, a governmental partner, right. then you need to have a good reputation to start with. Yeah, you need sure. to build a good event first with good relationships with people. Yep. Then I think that it depends on your embassy and your relationships with countries, <laughs> governmental relationships, as in your, your nation's relationship, yes. whether there's an opportunity to, uh, to lever that and work with that. Um, and often... You know, certain countries we have a better relationship than others, and it seems like, uh, for example, when we went to Antarctica, the uh, the U.S. base is um, based out of Christchurch in New Zealand, right. and they have, we have a very good relationship, a very uh, active relationship with the U.S. So I think you want to sort of target um, countries that you think might have a, a, a higher percentage or higher likelihood of, of a good relationship. Interesting. I hadn't hadn't considered that. And now, how many TEDx's have you done? Have you done them every year since 2013? Yeah, so uh, 13, 14, 15. Uh, and then we have actually had a break this year. So actually, I, I must be mis- miscalculating. It must have been 14, 15, 16. Yeah. And then we've had a break in 17. 17, you're taking, taking a little time yeah. off. How many people on well, your yeah. team? Well, it's ranged again. Uh, one thing that I do about with these events is we have experimented with different structures oh. uh, and also different scales of teams. So last year's team was around 20 people. Right. Um, that was the active team. That doesn't include volunteers on the day. And we have a very right. high ratio as well of um, carers for our guests. Okay, um, I love that. So, so, so we might have another 20 people. And our event last year was, let's say, only 300 people. Okay. So we had, you know, 50 people supporting the 300 people, which is one in six ratio. That's a nice ratio, yeah. 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 So, so once, tell, yeah, me about the, tell me about the different structures because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing that right now as, you know, as a result of having all these conversations with, with folks like yourself, it's causing mm-hmm. me to kind of rethink what I'm doing. And uh, yeah. so I re- I completely rebooted TEDx Santa Barbara. And uh, so I'm really interested in, in team structure. Which one do you think works the best? Well, let's, uh, I suppose, uh, let's talk about scale first of the team. Like one of the things that we did when we first started, we started basically with a six-person team. It was all very, um, I suppose, very professional people in their realms, very uh, able, capable people. Okay. Then we sort of moved to larger teams, and the concept was 
this is a voluntary event and a lot of people are spending their extra time doing this. Yes. So if payroll's not an issue, why don't we just make the team bigger, okay. have tight communication systems and basically have two people doing each job. Oh. So it reduces the load of that single person and uh, allows pe more people to be involved and or being mentored by another person. So stay on that for a second, because one of the challenges I found was it wasn't clear on the day of who the leader was, right, in, in a given area. So if I have two people doing food and beverage, right, mm -hmm. is there one of them the obvious leader? So if there's a question, I'm going to go to person A versus person B. I think that's a very good point, and I think that needs to be articulated for day of particularly. Yeah. Um, and each of the people in that team, let's say food and beverage, might actually discuss with me how they were hoping to cut that role up anyway. Yeah, yeah. So there would be – we're, we're pretty egalitarian. We would let them – help them to make those decisions Got it. Uh, and then clearly articulate them. But I, I agree. It's really important on the day that we have very clear communication uh, with the, the right people. Yeah, I've made that mistake, and I think others make that mistake because on the day of, you bring a bunch of people on who are just day of volunteers, and you don't, you know, you may or may not have had a lot of training with them, and they're like, yes. well, what do I do? Uh, who do I talk to? I mean, that kind of stuff. And and I know in our postmortem last year, that was kind of clear to us. Like, we had to be crystal clear about that, you know, just because you want everybody to have a good time, even the volunteers, right? Yep. It's just like they should have Absolutely. a good time. What is it about your event that um, it, it gives a, a distinct Queenstown flavor that's different than Christchurch in Wellington and Auckland? So one of my big theories is small is beautiful. Oh, I like that. And uh, we have a small community and – because of constraints of scale of venues, et cetera, and also our community size, we've actually chosen to keep it pretty small. So it's always been under 300 people. Yeah. With that, I think that we have a very close relationship with our guests in the room. And I feel that the speakers can get around and really have a conversation with people. Do you encourage so, that? Absolutely. It is partially the speaker's option. Um, but what we actually, what we have, which we learned from TEDx Wellington, was we have speaker tables, oh, and we actually bring that. our speakers out. Yeah, so we bring our speakers out after they've spoken, and they're a bit more relaxed. Yeah, uh, sure. We bring them out in the break, and they just have a table that they stand at, and all of their adoring fans, <laughs> and um, and people who would like to question them and cross-examine sure, sure. them, get get to have that conversation with people. We make sure that they've got. A good seat uh, that they're we've got we feed them food yeah, and make yeah. sure they're not stuck there but we hope that we can allow the speakers to be able to address their fans yeah. and also the, the guests to be able to have that interactivity that you can do in a small scale uh, event. I, I, I love that and I love make you know them making every effort to be at the after party as well um, you know, mm -hmm. for them to, cause at the end of the day, our job is to get their idea out into the world. So we have to get it out of their mouth first and out of their head. Right. And then yeah, yeah. In, into the minds of everyone else. And then 
capture it beautifully on video and then get it out. So all of the goodness that we can get around them feeling good about that is is part of that. Uh, I've been recently asking a new question, which is, uh, is there a specific food that you have there as a snack that we couldn't find anywhere else? <laughs> In Queenstown, yeah. such, you mean? Okay. Um, um, I'm sure I could come up with something if I'd prepared for this, but I can't really think of anything uh, that's unique to us. Uh, we have we are a new world culture, so we have borrowed many things. Yes. Um, it may be more a mashup of um, the cultural aspects. So we, we, we will serve empanadas along with cupcakes. Oh, I along love with that. Venison sausages and all sorts of other stuff. So oh, see, it's my, a bit of a mix. My listener's getting hungry right now because <laughs> we're, we're primarily Hispanic here in Santa Barbara. And so we love us some empanadas. You know, um, you, you've been doing this for you know, for many years now, do you also do salons, youth, women, any other events, or is it just the main event each year? So aspirations to do salons, particularly because we believe that it will help to curate and um, also feed the constant interest in TEDx. Right, Um, right. Because of the scale of our event, we've decided not to at this point. Uh, live streams. So we've done a couple of uh, TED live streams and TED Women, uh, and we did obviously TEDx Scott Base, but we didn't. Uh, we haven't done any other events outside the main event. I I found um, that j- just the bandwidth of doing it as professionals, right? We're all working. It's it's a lot of work mm-hmm. to do it as good as we want to do it. And we're a three hundred mm-hmm. person event as well, and then I you know I coach a few TEDxes and. Uh, you know, trying to help them understand what at what level the size, you know, is how important it is for the intimacy of the speaker and the audience. However, when I was talking to TEDx Sao Paulo a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. they did 5,000 last year and they're going to do 10,000 this year and have figured out a way to maintain that sense of intimacy. So I think mm-hmm. it just adds a, a different level to it. When... When I talk to you about the skills that you need to be good at or even great Mm -hmm. at to have a superpower in what you do, what would you say your superpower is around organizing your event? Is it is it the organizing itself? Is it collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, partnering? What do you think? What's the one you have the most fun with? Um, I'd say collaboration. That's kind of where I see my skills is uh, bringing people together with a common goal. When you have something like TEDx, a brand like TEDx, when you have a reputation in a town of doing good things, you can attract great people who do great work. So I think that the key is to, once you've started to attract those people, is to making the most um, out of those relationships. Mm. And so collaboration not only is related to your team and assembling the best team, but also being clear with partners, they are partners and not just what we call sponsors. As in, this is not a, we want your money, um, a relationship. This is a relationship where what can you bring to the party? What can you help to deliver? And what therefore can TEDx do for you, your Mm. organization to make this worth it? 
worth your while as well. So I think the collaboration part is is important part of the TED, most important part of the TEDx event. I I love that piece you just said in what what we can do for them. Give me an example of something unique you did for a partner that turned out really well. Um, so it's it's honestly been things that we're trying to work on. Really, one of the things that that is is. Uh, bringing in um, helping their team to be part of the uh, idea of TEDx. So sometimes we we work with um, brands and we try to – sorry, what am I trying to say here? We've, we've tried to work with people so that we can um, develop their, their team inside um, – sort of outside the TEDx event – and try to uh, show them some of the. I suppose it's kind of like a mentoring thing, so huh, we can help them to do development within the, their their business. Huh. And so here's one example: is we actually instead of getting money from a, a partnership budget in their their uh, budget allocation, we actually did it through their human resources development budget. Huh. Huh. So instead of so because they didn't have any budget left in um, for you know things as such, they we we said well what can we help to develop some of your your crew and we work with those people to understand what the whole TEDx thing is and the whole working for free and all that sort of stuff. So sorry, it's a little bit of a rough example. Well, but um, yeah, I, I, I what's in, where that speaks to is that. Most of the organizers I've talked to and, and the ones I've worked with, g- building partnerships is just very foreign to them. It's like the one skill. It's like they weren't they didn't they've never had to sell before. They've never had to go ask for money mm-hmm. before. They, you know, the idea of curating the stage, building a team, doing the marketing, doing social media, AV, all of those things. They may have had no experience, but they're not as frightening as calling the bank and asking for five thousand dollars, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then figuring out what's the if they've never sold something, for instance, that becomes a real challenge for them. Yeah, for sure. And I think that front footing it's really important. It's Doing like what? Front footing. What's those front footing? Requests. So, uh, hi, uh, and you might not start with this, but we're from TEDx Queenstown. I think you know a little bit about our event. We need five thousand dollars to run it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, the, but this is all of the elements around that so that we can talk about how that exchange might may or may not work. But it's, 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 it's important to – I think it's really good to get out of the way because there's nothing worse than ending the pitch by, not, by saying, so sorry, what do you need? Oh, <laughs> when the yeah. other person says, sorry, so what do you need? Right. And I think that it's really important to just say, hey, we need this. We need money to run an event or maybe we don't. We need your skills. We need your equipment. We need your team. Uh, what do we need that you can offer us? I, I I love that. So just be pretty. So the advice there is be clear up front and not dance yep. around it. Yeah. Well, usually the people you meet and you should always go to the top. Uh, yep. Don't have yep. that much time, and you need to be be able to deliver something succinctly. I'm not necessarily saying hi 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 Mark. I need five thousand dollars. I'm not saying that, <laughs> right? But it might be, you know, you know, somewhere in between there. 
And it also then, as you said earlier, by doing a really good job, right, at everything you do, it helps attract people. So the culture of the event attracts the quality of the event, the quality of the speakers. So you have a really good reputation, which really helps. And I think that the the challenge for some people is the first year they weren't really sure what they were doing and they didn't do so good. And so the second year it makes it a little more challenging or the license changes and the vibe changes and all of that. So, you know, we're always all trying to balance that all the time, right? To try to make it great and build a long-term brand in our community. Yes, for sure. What's been the, the biggest surprise for you in doing this? Either, either one, Scott Bass or Queenstown. I mean, the obvious big surprise for me was going to Antarctica, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> done. Drop the um, mic. We're done, ladies and gentlemen. Go, just going yeah. to Antarctica. Had you always wanted no, I mean, to do that? On well, I've always wanted to go to Antarctica, like most normal people on Earth. Um, <laughs> when when Kyla Colvin, the licensee of TEDx Scott Base and TEDx Christchurch, uh, called me up and said, "Hey, Trent." I've uh, I've applied for a license in Antarctica, and I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And then her second question is, "I would like you to join the team." Wow! And I think I said yes before she finished the question. I love it. Um, and so yeah, th- so that was uh, that was my biggest surprise is is that the, the idea that this would take me to another place with, in fact, people that I hadn't worked with outside. I mean, Kyla a little bit more as a colleague, and slammed me in a location where the whole base was part of the delivery. Mm, what does that mean? So we had a five-person team. Four people could go to the ice. Um, I was lucky enough to be one of those four, which means if you have three camera operators and a front-of-house person and a back-of-house person and someone put the mics on, et cetera, et cetera, it means you use everyone on the base. Uh, so we actually had people who weren't camera specialists operating cameras that weren't um, trained in certain aspects of delivery or, or getting people ready for stage. Right. And we had to train right. all of those people up on on the base. And where did the speakers come from for that? Uh, from all over, actually. Uh, Many of them were New Zealand. They were Kiwis. Yeah. Uh, but some of those were living overseas. Uh uh, Ashlyn Cousteau is from the States. Um, and so who else? Most of them were Kiwis, but some of them were actually living overseas. So, so one of the Cousteau family? Uh, yes, it's uh, Ashlyn Cousteau's... The granddaughter? Uh, grandson? Grand, granddaughter, grandson's wife oh, married it. into the Cousteau family. Got it. She's an entertainment reporter. Now, environmental advocate and TV personality. And she advocated for uh, communication, meaningful communication of science. I love that. We, the Cousteau Society was run here in Santa Barbara. And uh, so um, I, I'm working very hard and they didn't hear it here, but I'm working very hard to get someone to come and talk. We're going to focus on the ocean this year. And so that's that's kind of unnatural to, to have that. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that there were a ton of challenges with Scott Base, 
And I like to, you know, you listen to the show. I like to talk about dragons. You know, you don't have a great story yep. until you've got a challenge in there. What was the one that prob? What would, what challenge surprised you? And you're like, oh, I didn't see this one coming. Okay, so so Scott Base particularly. Oh, yep. either either, however you'd like to okay. take that. Okay, so Scott Base, the biggest challenge was going to Antarctica is a little bit like going to the moon. And if you forget your HDMI cord, you can't just suddenly come up. <laughs> so Amazon doesn't deliver. No, it doesn't deliver there. Unfortunately, not yet. Anyway, uh, so we had to two months prior. We had to get within six months. We had to discuss exactly what items we were carrying, and whether they were electrical hazards or not. Uh, whether how heavy they were, what volume they were, how fragile they were, and whether they could travel with each other or not. So we had to work out everything we had wow. in our kit. Wow. Um, six months prior, we had to run it through logistics. And from that logistics point, we had to get some of it shipped prior to us arriving. So all of it had to be fully confirmed two and a half, two months out. Because what happens is you don't fly down necessarily with your equipment. You fly on a, um, a Hercules, but you they load them efficiently as possible so certain loads have more volume more weight capability than others and that changes depending on the weather oh so even carrying our tv down we decided for a tv instead of a projector we decided on certain sound equipment as opposed to other sound equipment that includes tripods and lighting and all that sort of other stuff um Extras were streamed away very quickly. We had Lytro cameras and 360 cameras and all sorts of stuff like that. But we had to, we ended up pulling back and streaming back quite significantly and probably losing about 200 kilos or 100 kilos of stuff. How did you optimize the set design? I, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things is set design. What was your – and that might have been your hack, right? Yeah, so that was, that was fun. Um, that was – we were in the Hillary Field Center – and Sir Edmund Hillary, named after Sir Edmund Hillary. And it's basically a tent room uh, and a climbing wall <laughs> area. It's the largest area in Scott Base, and right. it actually has the best acoustics, which we found out when we got down there. Uh, we built the whole stage um, in three dimensions on SketchUp to work well, out seating arrangements and camera angles and viewing angles. Uh, to work out how many people we could get on stage, how many stage pieces we need to borrow from the US base. <laughs> right. So we borrowed stage pieces from the US base. And then we actually, there was an artist going down there before us, um, Gabby O'Connor, a New Zealand artist, and she's part of the cultural program. And she actually pre-assembled kind of like an origami-style backdrop, ooh, which you may have seen ooh, in the photographs. Yes, yeah, yeah, I did. And so that's super light and comes apart, and we had to put that thing together and hang that in location. Uh, so we worked out all of the everythings on paper digitally, um, and that was what allowed us to set up fairly quickly in a base because we had less than nine days to do everything, and that's convert a tent space into a stage which we could film from. Absolutely, so that was fun. absolutely amazing. Uh, I've I remembered a question I've I've been just starting to ask. One of the ideas is like 
we have we create these talks with an idea that we want to have impact. And it's kind of hard to follow up to see if that idea had impact. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. do you have a story if any one of your talks that whether it's the speaker went on to do a book afterwards or they went on to do more public speaking or they where something happened as a result of them being on the TEDx stage that led to their idea getting greater traction around the world. Yeah, so we um, we had a speaker, Mark Bella, who was raising money um, and working on awareness around t- building toilets in India, okay. which is something that a handful of people have done, it seems. But it's such a huge issue um, around equity and education and particularly women's rights to have toilets. Um, and he spoke on our stage, and he originally was rejected from other TEDx events. <laughs> In fact, uh, my brother, Jonio from TEDx Melbourne, re- rejected him previously. No kidding. Um, and part of the reason was he just he, – he needed a lot of work on delivering his talk and consolidating his ideas. He was very passionate but not very focused at the time. So we worked with him really, really hard. Um, and he was one of our best students for sure. He literally did hundreds of run-throughs, not with us all the time. Um, and he did it in front of crowds um, and he gave us feedback. He continuously updated his information about his um, talk content. And by the time we got to stage, he delivered it like the the pro that you've always wanted to have on stage. Wow. With such vigor, with... He knew it so well that it sounded natural, which is a conversation that we constantly go back and forth. Yep, 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 with of course. is knowing it so well that it becomes conversational, yep, that it becomes yep. um, something that sounds like you're saying it for the first time. Yeah. And and he went on to he's raised you know tens of thousands of dollars. I think he's still going with his pro program and progress. It raised so much awareness around. Um, his work, and I think it gave him a significant amount of confidence. So mm. that just that one person um, to help them to work on their life's work effectively, to make them feel effective and confident in delivering their idea, and then to see him go on and raise so much more money and awareness around something that's so important to him. So Mark Bala was a good example for me. And that's B E L L A. Uh, it's B A L L A, B A L L A, and I'll I'll make a link to him in the show notes. Yeah, I'm, I I've just started thinking while while I have you guys on the phone, um, I mm-hmm. want to know because I know one of our speakers, a 16 year old who was because remember this our stage is not for people who can get a stage anywhere. They're for people who can't get a stage or they reluctantly come to the stage, right? And the unheard mm-hmm. voice. And we have a 16-year-old who um, gave a talk about bullying. And uh-huh. as a result of that talk, she has two book deals, a TV deal. <laughs> she is spending her summer in Africa giving four main talks uh, about bullying. And it's just, I mean, it's launched her, her idea called Stand Beautiful into a thing. And it just got me thinking, I wonder if there are other... You know, because we hear the big, you know, the big 10, the big 20. We know what, you know, Simon Sinek and and all of those. Mm -hmm. 
But I feel like the TEDx stage, there are those people we just don't know. So I'm starting to ask, right? Let's start paying attention to that. So those of you who are listening and you know you're going to be on the show, pay attention because <laughs> I'm going to ask you that question. Um, <laughs> are you doing Scott Bass again this year? Or are you taking a break? Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, well, Scott Bass is a, it was a one-off for sure. That Maybe was... at the 120th birthday, Mark? <laughs> But what do you, so you're taking a year off. So what are you looking forward to in 2018? Um, well, uh, a reinvigorated text Queenstown, something which is different than we've ever done before. Uh, and that includes potential of a youth event. Uh, we've talked about a, a New Zealand Australia workshop, which we'd love to run here. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we've talked about remote events like our, our place is mountainous and beautiful yes and i'm wondering whether we couldn't do there was a beautiful one in europe that i've seen in the photographs but i'm not sure what that event was but it was it was set in the mountains mm. um and i think that there's a there's something about and as a person in outdoor education slash ecotourism i'm very uh i think it's really important the power of the outdoors to inspire and for it to be a setting for to to help human ingenuity and, and innovation and ideas and connection and all of that sort of stuff. I'm, so in, I'm really just in that contextual stuff for us. I would encourage you reaching out to Kat Haber uh, from yes, TEDx so Vale. Kat's fabulous, yep. and Kat uh, is everything is about nature for her, and she would probably pile on and say, "Let's figure out how to do it in the mountains." And she she might be a, a good resource to chat with. She's amazing. I love yeah, Kat. Yeah, she is. She's. Uh, I think everyone who decides to do a TEDx is um, is worthy of huge applause. Um, so if I could take our red carpet that we have on the stage and turn it into a magic carpet and fly you to any TEDx in the world, uh, where are we going? Um, purely for amazing open door experiences. I'd love to go to somewhere in South America. Uh, I, I do love small events um, and my Spanish is not good. So that's not going to help me very much. Right. But, um, but uh, yeah, I'd like to go somewhere that I, about an event that I've never heard about. Mm. Which are most of them. I have to tell you, most of the ones I've never, I was like, where the heck is that place? And I have to get out my map. And it's this class is this, this show is as much a masterclass in geography as it is anything else. (laughs) Absolutely. So, okay. uh, If you'd ask me to be more specific, I saw an event in Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia, which was recently on. So I've, I've, I have been to Mongolia and I have been to Ulaanbaatar before. I, I'd love to see an event there because I think it's an amazing place. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan. There's a, my fav, one of my favorite movies. I'm a martial artist. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies is Mongol, which is the oh, yeah. story of the like, kind of the first 18 years of Genghis Khan. Uh, and it, so that whole Mongolian vibe is something I'm – and very interested in. So I'm with you on that. I'm going to go look up their videos. Yep. Uh, you should go to Mongolia. It's an amazing place. Wow. 
Well, I I think if if I ever do retire, I'm going to spend a year going from <laughs> TEDx to TEDx every weekend. And even if I do that, I can only get to 52 of them. And there were 3,600 last year. So it's it's just, I need a time machine or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. So as you know, the show's called Hacking the Red Circle. And I like to find, a, you know, a hack. I'm, I'm actually working on an ebook that has all of these hacks in them. Uh, like, you know, how do we, because we, we have to figure out how to do world-class events. You know, our, uh, the gold standard is TEDx or TED in Vancouver, right? We see that stage and everything that they do. And we're like, man, I want to, I want to do something like that or, or TEDx Sydney or Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yet we don't have those kinds of budgets. And so we've got to figure out how to do it. So what, what's your hack to doing a great event? Um, I think, and you, I think you've pointed to it before is, I think that as much as it is to, uh, amazing to see other events in all their beauty and diversity, it's really important to understand what your town, what your community seeks and is unique for. I think that to, or I think that sometimes we look at the big events, we look at the Sydney's and we look mm-hmm, at the, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the many events that are, you know, quite large and we think, how do we be like that? And actually, I don't think that that's what we should be doing. Oh. I think that we should find our own uniqueness. And I, I'm sure a lot of TEDx events would, would express that. But if this was a portal, which it is, yes. to the rest of the world, yes. what would you like the world to see about your place? <sighs> I like I like that. What would you like the world to know about your place? I want to I want to end it on that because I love that because it's it's that lens because the rest of the world is going to look at your community through that mm-hmm. lens, right? Through that that camera that you have trained on the speakers and what is it? How do they get that vibe? So maybe it's in set design, mm-hmm. maybe it's in the kind of people, maybe it's in the kinds of of, of local concerns and they go wow they have the same problems we have in our community um mm-hmm. you know i i was talking uh yesterday i had a, another interview and he said that they ask their attendees to say which of the talks had the most impact on you and that we should show to the mayor and the city council and say you need <laughs> to take action on this so that's some real that's very hyper local, right? Yeah, that's quite amazing. I like that a lot. I like that. I I loved that. That was that was, you know, that was spectacular. That was um TEDx Jacksonville. Um uh, Doug Coleman there who's, you know, oh, one Doug. of the, one of the one of the godfathers of of uh the TEDx movement. You know, I Trent, I appreciate this. I appreciate you're a fan of the show. I hope you'll uh invite your team to listen. Uh I get letters from people who say that they're they they think the team hates them because they're always telling them no you got to go listen to that last show because you know there was a particular bit that someone said that they know one of the team members needs to hear that you know and and so there are some things you've said in here I know that uh, people are going to find quite valuable thank you so much for that no problem I think that this is actually one of the best sources of information for TEDxers wow and people interested in it. Um, I just literally recommended it half an hour ago to a new TEDx event in New Zealand. And 
I think that it's not only great reflection for us as TEDx organizers with our other peers, whom we only get to meet once a year if we go right. to Global or yeah. TED Fest, et cetera, yeah. Yeah. but also um, really insightful because of the line of questioning that you've created, uh, which is beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I, uh, my mom said when I was 12 that if I didn't shut up, my brother was never going to learn how to talk. And, <laughs> and I, I, I have found that happy place in my life where I, I'm doing something I truly love and I'm talking to my peers, right? I'm not just interviewing out of the blue. It's like I'm doing the same job you're doing. And there's very few times in life where we can talk to someone who does exactly what we do but they do it very differently. And and mm-hmm. we're not in competition. In fact, just the opposite. We're overtly trying to learn from one another. And I, I can't think of anything else I do in my life that is that collaborative as that feeling we get from working with one another. And I don't, I didn't want it to end after um, being at TED or TED Fest or a summit or something. It's like, so it's like, mm-hmm. what can I do? What can I do? Ah, I'll have a radio show and everybody will want to be on it. And I'm so glad it's making, providing value for you. I appreciate it, buddy. It's open source. Awesome. Good work. (laughs) That's my t-shirt for the day. Open source. Awesome. Trent, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Mark. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.